Good morning and welcome to Grace. Uh, for those of you who may not know who I am, Kevin introduced me a little bit, but uh, my name is Michael and just a little bit about myself uh, before we continue our series. Uh, I grew up here. I am blessed enough to call this, you know, my home, uh, called Grace, you know, my home church since I was in middle school. And so to be able to grow up here, to be able to, uh, you know, just see as this church has developed and it makes experiences like this very humbling and uh, it's just an honor to be able to do this and to preach God's word to you guys. And so uh, I'm excited to be here today. Uh, I am the fourth and fifth grade director here, which means I'm in charge of 45th Street and love doing that. Fourth and fifth graders make it easy to, you know, keep things exciting and keep you on your toes a little bit. And I'm also in charge of young adult which we are relaunching tonight at 6.30. And so if any of you are kind of in that 18 to 30 age range, we would love for you guys to just be a part of what we're doing here at Grace. Our heart behind it is still the same. We want to go deeper in our faith. We want to let people know who, who God is. And so we'll be doing just that. We're meeting over in the student center at 6.30 p.m. So if you or you know anybody else uh, that would be a part of that young adult age range, please invite them and uh, be a part of what we're doing. Tonight, or not tonight, this morning, I get the privilege of continuing our series, Road Trip. And I know the past two weeks, we've had Kevin start off the series, and then Tim spoke as well. And Kevin, he just went to Colorado for, you know, like a high school reunion. Tim just went to Alaska, pretty long road trip. And so that's, that's what they do. You know, they love traveling. Me, on the other hand, I hate road trips. <laughs> I'll just be honest. When I go, you know, when I travel somewhere, things just never go as planned. For example, the most recent road trip I went on was from my house to Virginia and then back home. Me, or my brother and I, we both went to school in Lynchburg, Virginia. And after we graduated, he stayed there. And just recently, we helped him move back. And so, I went with my family, my Aunt Barb and my mom, and we helped him move back. So I got a big Penske truck, loaded up all this stuff, and we were headed from Virginia to Ohio. Ideally, the trip should only take about nine hours, but with me traveling, it never works out that way. And so we we're on our way back, and I was following my mom in our, in our van, and the transmission was just funky. It just, I don't know anything about cars, but either way, it wouldn't go fast, to, in, in layman's terms. We were going down 64, which is that main road from Virginia to West Virginia, 15 miles an hour on the shoulder with our hazards on at night. It was awful. And because that took so long, we said, all right, let's make this, you know, a two-day trip. Let's not try to, you know, tire ourselves out. So we stayed at this lovely hotel in West Virginia, yeah, West, anything in West Virginia, lovely is a um, skeptic term. But we stayed there, and the next day, we were combating certain bugs that were in the beds. You guys get where I'm going? Yeah. Fun, right? I don't like road trips, basically, bottom line, because they never go as planned. And as we look at this series, we continue seeing how God works with his people, the road trip that they took didn't go probably how they planned either. And as we know, 
the Israelites, they spent 400 years in Egypt. Over 400 years, and most of that time they were enslaved and oppressed by the Egyptians. The Egyptians, a very powerful people, but they entered that land all because of this guy named Joseph. And Joseph, his story is just incredible if you, if you read that on your own, as God is clearly working in his life and providing and taking care of him. Joseph goes to Egypt, his family then follows, and the people just continue to grow and multiply, so much so that the Pharaoh, after Joseph has died and moved on, the Pharaoh gets worried. He's like, all right, these Israelites, they could be a problem. They could be a potential threat. And so he starts attempting to get rid of the children that are just born. And at this time is when Moses, the chosen leader that was going to lead them on this exodus, that was going to be the driving force on this road trip, it was then that he was called up and chosen as the leader. And so this whole time, Moses and Pharaoh, as Tim talked about last week, uh, had multiple conversations, and Moses was saying, hey, you need to let the Israelites go. And Pharaoh, he was a little more stubborn than most people, and so God sent ten plagues to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. And on the tenth plague, where we talked a little bit about last week, is where we're going to pick up the story. So Exodus chapter 12 Verse 29 is where we're going to pick up today. It says, Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go, worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have said and go, and bless me also. I find it kind of funny that Pharaoh's basically evicting these people. He's kicking them out, but he says, oh yeah, by the way, bless me. It's just kind of funny how you can still tell that his heart isn't fully repentant and any respect that he has for Moses and God, it doesn't last long as we'll see in the story. But this tenth plague was the final straw. It was the last one to finally convince Pharaoh to do what Moses had been trying to get him to do. And it was at midnight, just like God promised, that all the firstborn of Egypt died. And it's kind of funny how if you look at chapter 11 right before this, Moses tells the people, he said, look, here's exactly what's going to happen. All the firstborns will die. But if you look at the Israelite people, the Bible says not even a dog will bark. The Egyptians, they were mourning. They were, you know, it, it said there were screams at night. It said it was an awful time because their firstborns were dead. But God protected his people. God provided for them. That's something I want us to keep in mind. And verse 31 says that Pharaoh got up at night. He didn't negotiate with them. He didn't wait until things settled down. As soon as that 10th plague happened, he got up, went to Moses and Aaron and said, I've had enough of you guys. Get out. I'm done. You can leave. Take your God. Take your, take your people. Take your flocks. Take anything that you own and leave. Okay, he had had enough. 
and he told him to get out. I don't know if uh, any of you have ever been to that point with another person where you're just kind of tired of them, but when I was in college, I took a business management class, and for some reason, that class, we were just never on time, and our teacher, she let us know that she, she was tired of it. She was not going to have any more, so one class, she said, all right, tomorrow we have class presentations, and I'm tired of you guys being late. I've had enough. If you show up late, I will not let you in. And being me, as a smart person I am, I forgot. And I show up the next day or two days later, whenever the class was, and us Millers, we're not the most punctual people. You know, a lot of people live by the motto, like, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. Yeah, no. To me, it's better late than never, right? And just get there. That's, that's usually my goal. And so I get there, I'm about five to ten minutes late, not a care in the world. And as I open the door, I kind of hear the sounds of the presentations going on, and then it clicked for me. Oh, she warned us not to be late today. Okay. I'm just going to kind of move to the back quietly, not cause a ruckus. And as soon as I made an effort to go in the door, all I heard is, nope. And she snapped at me, and she pointed right out the door and said, nope, go out. And I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to go to my seat real quick. She said, nope, out, get out. And it was so awkward because, you know, classmates were laughing at me, and, and obviously I was kicked out for that whole class hoping she would let me in, but I spent the next hour in the hallway by myself. And she was tired of it. She was fed up. She said, I had enough. You need to leave. And more than my teacher was, Pharaoh was completely fed up. He had had enough of these people causing all these plagues in their land, and he wanted them out. And the Israelites began to leave. But before they do, they ask for something from the Egyptians. They ask for articles of gold, articles of silver, and clothing. And the Bible says that God made them favorable in the eyes of the Egyptians. And that's just another way, as they left this land, they didn't leave empty-handed. But if you look at Genesis 15, 14, God predicted this. He promised this to Abraham. He told Abraham, look, your people are going to spend a long time in a foreign land. But when they leave, they won't leave empty-handed. They'll leave with some possessions to take with them. And that's another way that we can see that I want us to keep in mind, God taking care of his people, keeping his promises. And it is now that we begin our road trip. The Israelites have been in Egypt for a very long time. They're ready to go. It says around 2.4 million people left the land of Egypt. Okay, obviously a lot of people, and all of them are ready to leave. And as they leave, they didn't take the normal suggested route. Okay, Bible says that God had them take the uh, scenic route, if you will, because God knew his people. He knew that if they faced any type of crisis, then they would be tempted to leave. They would be tempted to, all right, I've had enough of this. I'm going back to Egypt. And so because God knew that, he had the people go around the Philistines, which is a common enemy that we see in the Bible, and he had them go around the Philistines and take the longer route. And verse 19 in chapter 13 is where we're going to pick up our story once again. 
chapter 13, verse 19. It says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they set out from Sukkoth, camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. So here we have some kind of weird things going on as they travel. The first thing is that Joseph, before he died, he was so sure that God would take care of his people, that God would deliver them. And he was so sure, and his faith in God was so solid that he said, all right, when you guys go, take me with you. Take my body, take my bones, take my coffin, and bury me in the promised land. And that's exactly what they did. As they're traveling, they have people carrying Joseph's bones in a coffin. Because he was so sure that God would take care of him. And the other kind of interesting thing about this road trip is as they were traveling, as the, that we just read, God provided a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to guide them, give them direction, give them cover, give them light. And this is not like a metaphor, you know, for something. This is a literal column of cloud by day and fire at night. Like, imagine that. God didn't tell them, hey, head east, follow that star. He gave a, a little more obvious sign and said, yeah, you see that big fireball? Follow that. And this is just another way of God taking care of his people. So wherever that pillar of cloud or fire went, the people followed. And I think what it does is it reminds us as we read the story that if Israel were to survive, to thrive as a nation, they would have to follow God. They would have to submit their lives and come to the point where, okay, wherever God is telling me to go, no matter how weird it may be, no matter where he takes me, that's where I want to go. And I think the Israelite people, they knew that. And that's exactly why they followed him. And so chapter 14, verse 1 is where our story really, really picks up, and we have some interesting parts here. They've been traveling for quite some time, and verse 1 says this. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pihahirath, between Migdal and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal-Zephon, opposite it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, They are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus... I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. See, God has them traveling, obviously, away from Egypt. But then he tells Moses, yeah, I know you've been traveling this way for so long, but I want you to turn around. I want you to go back towards Egypt and camp a little closer to, the, to them. And they're probably thinking, okay, that doesn't make much sense. You know, Egypt is that way, so we should go the opposite way. But God has them come back just a little bit. And really what he's doing is he's setting up the story. He's setting up for God to get the glory. 
and he's also tricking Pharaoh. Pharaoh was going to see them trapped or he's going to think that they're lost. He's thinking, okay, it's my lucky day. They're idiots. They're on their way back. I'm just going to go get them real quick. But really what God is doing is he is tricking Pharaoh. In, uh, in high school, I worked at Cedar Point for three summers. I was a sanitation engineer, which, very important job. Uh, my job description consisted of taking my broom and my dustpan and sweeping the park for however many hours a day. And very important job. Without people like me, that park didn't run. I'm just, I'll just say that. But for some reason, uh, some of my coworkers, when we would be on our lunch break, they, I don't know why, but they did this thing where they would take fishing wire, you know, clear fishing string, whatever you call it, and attach a dollar bill to the end of it. They'd put the dollar bill in the midway or where everybody was walking, and then as you can guess, they'd go on the other end with a string, and when people would go to pick it up, they'd pull it right from, you know, out from under them. And it's kind of funny just to see the different people's reactions. Some people were mad, some kids would be chasing it all the way across, and then some people, you know, have a good attitude about it. But the people, when they see the dollar, what are they thinking? They're thinking, oh, it's my lucky day. If I find three more of these, maybe I can actually afford something at Cedar Point. <laughs> but they go to pick up the dollar, and it's pulled right out in front of them. Because someone is tricking them, obviously. God is essentially doing the same thing. God is setting up, he's trying to trick Pharaoh, and he's kind of tempting him with the Israelites, thinking that they don't know what they're doing, but in reality, God knows exactly what he's doing. And Pharaoh realizes they're gone, and in his mind, he comes to his senses and thinks, what have we done? We just lost our servants, we just lost our workers, all this, we need to go get them. So he, the Bible says that he takes 600 chariots and goes to find Israel and to capture them and to bring them back. Verse 10, we see as the Egyptians get close. Here's what it says. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They see Pharaoh coming. Pharaoh and all his chariots and his powerful army, they're getting close. And the people, their initial response is fear. Their initial response is complaining and grumbling and, and crying out to Moses and God. And they're actually mocking Moses. They're saying, okay, Moses, I see what you're doing here. You, you didn't want to get us out of Egypt. You just wanted to bring us out so that we could die, right? That's what you want to do because there weren't enough graves in Egypt. Should I just start digging now? You know, uh, I don't know how true it is, but I read that three-fourths of Egypt was dedicated or available for graves. Now, it seems like a high number to me, but either way, a lot of grave space was available in Egypt. So that makes it even more sarcastic as these people are saying, 
Moses, is this what you brought us out here for? To die? And these people have, at least initially, lost their true faith in God who's leading them. And so Moses, being the great leader he is, he is wrangling them back in. And he encourages them once more. Verse 13 and 14. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Moses reminds them that God is leading them. He reminds them that God will act on their behalf and come through, keep his promises, and accomplish what he needs to accomplish. Moses tells them, do not be afraid, stand firm, and be still. Advice that, that Moses gave them obviously was able to encourage them enough to, to keep going. And it goes on to say that that, that pillar of cloud and fire that used to be in front of them, it said it moved behind them. And so that it kept the Egyptians from, you know, attacking the Israelites just long enough for God to set up this big finale. Kind of what God's been leading up to this entire time, tricking Pharaoh and bringing them out of the land. This is what God is setting up for. Verse 21. It says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, And the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, horsemen, went in after them into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Moses, being the chosen leader to lead them on this road trip, steps over the Red Sea, puts his hand out over the water, And as all of us have probably heard the story, it says the waters divide. Obviously something you don't see every day. But the waters divide, and it was deep enough and wide enough for 2.4 million people to cross in one night. It said it was like a wall on their right and a wall on their left. I mean, can you imagine just being there? Imagine being the first guy that had to cross. Moses is... You know, Moses has his hand out over the water. And he's like, all right, Mike, you're up. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to go to the back of the line, you know, just make sure we live and go from there. But that would take faith in itself. And obviously the people acted enough in, a, in obedience and faith to where they made it to the other side. And then the Egyptians began their pursuit. They found a window that they felt they could go and attack the Israelites. And while the Egyptians were in the sea and the waters were still divided, the Bible says that God made things a little difficult for them. It said their wheels 
were falling off. They were swerving all over the place. It was just, you know, windy, terrible weather. Everything was just in confusion. And these people started to realize, you know what? God's definitely not on our side. God's fighting for Israel, not us. But by the time they realized that, and by the time they decided to turn back, for them it was too late. The Bible says that Moses stepped over one more time and closed the gap, and the water returned to normal, wiping out every single person that Pharaoh dedicated to chasing after them. And it also says that the Israelites were literally able to stand on shore and watch firsthand as God performed one of the greatest miracles we read in the Bible, definitely one of the coolest, but they were able to experience firsthand God providing for them, delivering them, taking away their enemies because God cares for his people. And them seeing this firsthand, as we read in the next chapter, they responded in, in just faith and celebration and praising God as, as it should. And they witnessed something that will be talked about for years to come, something that we're still talking about today. And so we read this story, we read the history, we read, um, you know, what happened, the details that took place, but what does it mean for us? What does it mean to apply to our lives now, our everyday lives? You know, I, I read this story of God delivering Israel and splitting the Red Sea and, and wiping out their enemies my reaction isn't to go, man, those Israelites, they got themselves out of a tough one. You know, good thing they got out when they did. I don't, I don't think that. My reaction is, wow, look what God is able to do. See, the Israelites, they saw the Red Sea. They felt they were trapped. They saw it as an obstacle, a problem, something standing in their way. But God saw it as an opportunity, an opportunity for him to show up, for him to, to show just how powerful, he, show how powerful he is and for him to get the glory. And I think often, myself definitely included, we are just like Israel and we don't understand just how much God provides for us. We don't understand how much God takes care of us just on a daily basis and everything that he does to protect us. And so from the story, I want to focus on three takeaways that we can know and keep for our lives. The first one, whatever we acknowledge from the story is great. But one thing that we can know is that God, he's already provided for us more than we'll ever need. Our biggest need is our, our biggest need comes from separation from our creator. God created us and he loves us, but he designed us to be in union and relationship with him. But it's our sin that messes that up. It's our sin that separates us from him, that, that doesn't allow us to be on his level, be on his standard. And because of that sin, the Bible says that we deserve death. We deserve eternity separated from God. Hell. But thankfully... God provides for us, he has provided for us, this free gift of forgiveness, this free gift of salvation that all we need to do is trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross, 
and our sins are forgiven. And that alone is more than we'll ever need. And so if you don't leave here with anything else today, know that that good news of what Jesus did for us on the cross, he's already provided for us. All we have to do is accept it. The second thing, as we read that the Israelites, when they left Egypt, they didn't go, you know, straight for their destination because God felt there was some road bumps along the way. God took them a different route. I think something that we can learn from this is that God doesn't always lead us through the shortest path to get us to the destination that he desires. God may want us to be at a certain place in our lives, but God doesn't necessarily make it the easiest, shortest route for us. Along the way, God wants us to trust. God wants us to learn to no matter what we're doing, trust that he's going to provide for us. And we're reminded of this all throughout the Bible. In fact, Paul tells us in Romans 8, 28, he says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. See, we are clearly told that everything we go through, whether it's good or bad, that God can turn into good. That God has complete control. It can be brought around to honor him. And so we may be looking at our life right now and feeling a lot like the, or like the Israelites. We may be looking at our life and thinking, okay, it doesn't feel like God's providing for me. Uh, I'm definitely not where I want to be in my life. You know, my, uh, my family relationships are not strong. It's, they're kind of falling apart. I lost my job. I'm searching right now. This doesn't feel like, you know, God is guiding me. I'm not where I want to be with my school. Whatever it is, we may be feeling a lot like the Israelites. And it may feel like God isn't providing for us. But he is. And the Bible constantly reminds us of that. And the third takeaway is where I want us to kind of look at our own lives and ask ourselves, okay, we just read a story about a God who is able to deliver his people from the most powerful empire on the planet over 400 years of being there, being in slavery, and he was able to basically make a fool out of the most powerful man on the planet, Pharaoh, and the most powerful empire. He was able to deliver them. He was able to keep them safe. He was able to split an entire sea just to protect them and wipe out their enemies. If God is able to do that, what can he do for us in our lives? If God is able to reveal himself and to show us he's that powerful and on such a grand scale like this, what can he do for us? if we are simply willing to trust him. And so when we find ourselves at what we think is a dead end, we think, okay, nothing good is coming from where I'm at in life, this situation. We can complain. We can doubt God's leadership and be like, yeah, he does not have his, you know, he's not providing for me. He's not watching over me. We can do that. Or we can act in trust and trust that no matter what situation we are in, 
just like Paul is telling us, that he will provide. And it's kind of funny is I need to remind myself of this sometimes. We read these awesome stories in especially the Old Testament of God doing these crazy things, taking care of his people and providing for them in such just amazing ways. And then I don't trust him with the small things of my life. And sometimes I think that God can't handle my problems. No, I think he can. I think that what we need to do is simply trust that he will provide. Don't forget that he loves us. Don't forget how powerful he is. Don't forget his ability to turn what we may think is an obstacle into an opportunity for us and for God to get the glory. And in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And so no matter what we're going through, the Bible tells us that if we're willing to, just like Israel did, follow God, we may not have this obvious sign of fire in the sky, but if we're willing to follow God and trust him, he will provide. Let's stand and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you most of all for, God, you're providing for us by sending Jesus, your only son, to die on the cross for our sins. God, there's nothing that we can do to earn it. There's nothing that we can do to, to repay that favor. All we have to do is believe, admit that we're sinners, believe what Jesus did on the cross, and commit our lives to you. And God, as, as we read this story of, of Moses and, and your people and and then being delivered out of Egypt. God, I pray that it wouldn't just be a story that we read and gloss over. But God, we would really believe that it happened. And take the principle of knowing that you will provide for us. You will take care of us as long as we trust you. And I pray that we would keep that in mind every single day. In your name, amen. Thank you for being with us. And we will continue our series next week.